those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Cornelius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloth and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. This is the word of God. Morning, and once again, a really, really warm welcome to Reality Church London. If I've not met you yet before, my name is Bijan, I'm the pastor for our church, and what a festive day for us to be gathering around the Christmas story. And before we get into the sermon, based on the passage that you just heard read, I want to say that a service like this, with all this festivity, does not just happen without the loving labor of so many people in our community. So Emma and Shay made mince pies that you received when you came in. We had an amazing choir and music team that have been preparing and working hard. And our staff and many volunteers who were here much earlier than you would care to know getting this hall ready and set up for all of us. So a huge thank you. As we gather today, it really does feel like we're gathering as a family. And so thank you for being here. And as you've heard a few times throughout our service, some of you are regulars here. You have been part of churches for a long time. Others of us are new. Maybe this is our first time in church or our first time in a long time coming to a spiritual community. And so my job for just a few minutes, this won't be as long as a regular sermon, but for just a few minutes is to try to ground everything that we do today in the story that animates us. So why is it, how is it that nearly 2,000 years after his birth, we're gathering to celebrate the birth of a baby in a small town in ancient Israel? Why is that the case? And why is it the case that the world over, people during this month are doing the same thing? And the answer to that question is found in verse 10 of the passage that you just heard read. There as the angels came to the shepherds. They said, behold, we bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. 
That's why we gather at Christmas, because something happened, news, that was so good, it would cause great joy, not just for some people, not just for one community or one nation, but for all people at all time. And that's what I want to explore with you for just a couple of minutes this morning. Why is it that the Christmas story, the message of Jesus' birth, causes good news that brings great joy? And so I want to show you three things to help us experience that joy today and how Christmas can be good news that brings great joy in your life. So three things. First, we'll see Christmas is in fact news. Second, it's news for everyone. And third, it's news of a Savior King. If you see those things, that Christmas is, in fact, news for everyone of a Savior King, I believe that you'll experience some of that same joy that the shepherds experienced all those years ago. So first, the thing that we learn about the Christmas story is that it is news. If you look in verses 1 and 2 of our passage, and I'm going to do my best to see it. (laughs) Thank you, Meg. It says there, verses 1 and 2, In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This, by the way, was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. Now, we read that, and it may be lost on us what a remarkable way it is for Luke to begin his story, his account of the birth of Jesus, in that way. But notice, Luke does not say, once upon a time, in a land far away, such and such unfolded. But he says, actually, when Caesar was in charge, oh, and by the way, when Quirinius was governor over here, there was a census. What's he doing? He's giving us names and dates and places. In other words, he's telling us the story that you're about to hear is history. It happened. He is trying to give us an account of something that took place in time and in space. And what Luke is doing, what the Gospels do as they present the life of Jesus, is they don't say, once upon a time in a land far away, but they say, when so so was in charge and at this time and in this part of the world, this happened. They're presenting history. Tom Wright, who is a professor of history and an expert in Greco-Roman literature, who teaches now at Oxford, put it this way. He says, history is what matters. This is why Luke writes about it. He clearly intends to write about actual events that have taken place in the actual past. Anyone who writes like this is intending to describe historical events. The story that Luke tells, therefore, only means anything if it takes place within public and world history, actual history. Now, here's why that matters. There are some of you here today who love to come to church on a Christmas carol Sunday. You love the songs, you love the festivity, you love the food and the mulled wine. That's great. But when it comes to the Christmas story itself, you say, well, I'm not really sure I can believe all of that. I'm not sure that it actually happened. But yeah, we love the festivity. We love the celebration. It's really fun. And so with that mindset, if you kind of pull on that thread, what you're really saying is that the Christmas story is a kind of fable. It's a kind of myth. It's a kind of inspiring tale 
that we gather around to get some inspiration and to feel good in what would otherwise be a particularly gloomy time of the year. But Luke doesn't let us make that conclusion. Luke, at least if we interact with the text as we have it, says this happened. And he's giving us information to reckon with that took place in history. And here's why that matters. This is why practically it's so important. Because if what Luke was giving us was just a fable, just a set of inspiring tales to warm our hearts, then the message of Christmas would be boiled down to advice. It would be about looking at this story, getting some advice about how to live, and then going out into your world to do your best to try to live harder and do better. That's what advice always does. It gives you something to do. But if Christmas is history, if it's news, if the angel is saying something that happened, not telling you what to do, but telling something that happened for you, that means that you can rest in it. That means that this story is something that you can rejoice in. You see, back in ancient days, if a king went off to battle to protect his city, to protect his country, they're there in the battle. And if the battle was successful, if the king was successful in defeating the enemy army, they would send a herald back to their city. And they would say, be at peace, be at rest, victory is secured, we're safe, you can rest. But if in that same battle that king lost and the enemy army invaded and threat was imminent, the king would not send a herald, the king would send advisors. And they'd run quickly and they'd say, quick, man the defenses, battle stations, prepare or we're doomed. In other words, advisors tell you what to do. And heralds proclaim news that you can rest in. And that's why at Christmas, we don't sing, hark the advisor angels sing. We say, hark the herald angels sing. Because Christmas is about news that's happened in history, which God accomplished something for you. Christmas is not advice about what you must do. It's news about what God has done. That's the first reason it can bring joy into your life because it's news about what God has done. Second, though, not only is it news, but it's news for everyone. One of the common criticisms that I hear about Christianity when I talk to people who have questions, and it's a very legitimate, very valid criticism, is that Christianity seems to be or appears to be very exclusive. The idea that Jesus is the only way to get to heaven or there's only one way to get to God. And so some people will say, quite naturally, that feels too exclusive to me. That feels too insular to me. And make no mistake, Jesus does, in another part of the Bible, claim to be the only way to get to God. But what I want you to see this morning is that actually when you really look at the text themselves, what stands out as surprising is how inclusive the message of Christianity is. It really is for everyone. Or as we see in verse 10 of the passage, it's good news for all the people. And you actually see that here in our story. So look with me. Throughout the text, we're told that the angels brought good news to who? The shepherds. Now, in your mind, picture a nativity scene. There, the nativity scene that you see in your mind, who's there? You've got Mary and Joseph and the baby Jesus. You've got lots of animals. But who else is there? Two groups of people. You have shepherds and you have the wise men. 
It's interesting that when we think of the first Christmas, the Christmas story, the people who are there are shepherds and the wise men because those two groups of people could not have been more different. They could not have been more dissimilar. The shepherds were probably Jewish or Israelites. So that means in the time of this story, they would have been considered the ethnic insiders. But shepherds, because of the job they had in society, were marginalized. They were looked at as kind of the riffraff of the community. They were people that you didn't really interact with and didn't have much to do with. Nobody thought much of shepherds. So the shepherds were the ethnic insiders, but the cultural outsiders. The wise men were different. The wise men would have spent their time in courts of kings. These would have been the elite of their society, highly educated, but ethnically they'd be outsiders. They would be from beyond Israel. And yet, what do you see in the first Christmas story? You see shepherds and wise men gathered together around the baby Jesus. And what we learn from that very first moment that Jesus comes into the world is the news he brings is news for everybody. It's news for all the people. It's news that any person at any time, anywhere, can unite around and give themselves to. And you know, historically, even geographically, that's been true. One of the stunning things about Christianity is how global it is. We've seen that in our service today with our reading. Let me just tell you, I came across this stat not long ago that sometimes you hear the criticism, you know, Christianity is a kind of white Western religion, but nothing could be further from the truth. In North America, there are currently about 277 million people who identify as Christian. In Latin America, 601 million. In Asia, 388 million. In Africa, about 631 million people identifying as Christian. And then in Europe, you have about 570 million. For those of you from Australia, I haven't forgot you, but that's Oceania, about 30 million. (laughs) In other words, what do you see? Christianity's everywhere. It's a message for all people. And it's not limited to one place or to one time or to one tribe or to one culture. In fact, Laman Sane, who is a professor of history and world religion from Gambia, noting how global Christianity is in its message, says this. Christianity seems unique in being the only world religion that is transmitted without the language or originating culture of its founder. That's a remarkable point from the perspective of the history of religions. And so why is that good news? Why is it good news that Christianity is a message for everyone? Because you know we live in a fractured, tribal, polarized world whether it's class or race or political ideology. We live in a world in which people are often lining up with the other people who look or sound or think just like them. And the message of Christianity cuts through all of that. And it says there's a message that both shepherds and kings can gather around as we unite ourselves around the entrance of God into our story in the baby Jesus. This is a message for everyone. And the history of Christianity bears out it really is joy for all people. So it's news. It's news for everyone. And finally, lastly, Christmas is good news because it's news of a Savior King. Look with me, if you would, again, verses 10 and 11 of our passage. 
the angel says to the shepherds, I've got good news for you. It's going to cause great joy. And then verse 11, he actually gives the news. He says this, today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. That's the good news. That on this day, he said, a savior has been born who is Messiah, the Lord. And today, Christmas can be good news for you if you experience Jesus, not just as a historical figure, not just as an inspiring teacher, but as Savior and as King. That's what Messiah means, the anointed one, the King, the long-awaited deliverer. And so first, what do we mean by Savior? Well, the first Christmas is a rescue mission. The first Christmas, the angel said, you're to call his name Jesus because he's going to save his people from their sin. We're to recognize that, yes, as we gather, there's fun and there's lights and there's singing and there's party. But the first Christmas, it was a rescue mission. God came into hostile territory to do what? To rescue his people from their greatest foe, which the Bible calls sin. And as we say often here at Reality, sin is not first and foremost a set of bad behaviors. Sin is a kind of posture of the heart. It's a kind of condition that resides in every person which leads to self-absorption. In which we say that we are the most important thing in our universe and everything and everyone comes second. And that kind of self-absorption, that posture of the heart that says to God, I don't want you and I don't need you. That's what leads to all the brokenness and all the bondage that we experience in our lives and in the world around us. The root is sin. And Christmas is about a savior. Christmas is about God coming to do for us what you can never do for ourselves. Jesus came to free his people, to save his people from sin. But not only did he come as a savior, he came as Messiah. He came as king. He came as the long-awaited deliverer. Now, king means he has absolute authority. King means he has power. Kings don't run democracies in which everybody gets a vote. Kings say, this is how it will be. You know what that means? Jesus has not come to be your administrative assistant. He's not come to help you get your life a little bit more organized. He's come demanding absolute surrender. He's come to say, let go of this life that you're trying to lead for yourself, to live for yourself, and give everything to me. So how do we respond? Here we are on a Christmas carol Sunday. We see news that's for everybody of a Savior King. How do we respond to it? Two things to do today. First, admit your need. And second, rejoice in his rule. That's how we respond to the message of Christmas. Admit your need and rejoice in his rule. So first, admit your need. Christmas is good news. A Savior has come. But that means it's also hard news. You have to acknowledge that you need saving. Every day, every one of us, we need saving from ourselves, from our sin, from the brokenness of our world. And so the first thing Christmas invites you to do is to surrender, is to say, I need Jesus who can do for me what I could never do for myself. It's to admit that every attempt you've ever engaged in to try to make your dreams come true and fulfill the ache and the longing in your heart 
has not only not worked, but it's actually made things harder. And Christmas today can be a chance to say, I need a savior. I need someone to save me from myself, to save me from the brokenness and the bondage in this world. So first, wherever you are and whatever is happening, can you admit your need today? And second, can you rejoice in his rule? Can you say, I want Jesus to be king in my life and see why that is actually the most joyful news that there could ever be? Think about it like this. If you know anything about the gospel stories, the stories of the life of Jesus, all throughout his life, he's going around and he's doing miracles. He's raising people from the dead. He's feeding people miraculously. He's opening the eyes of the blind. And as we read those stories of Jesus' miracles, it would be possible to think that what Jesus is doing is he's just flexing his divine muscles. He's saying to his friends, guys, you're going to love this one. Watch this. Boom. And he's just showing off his power. But that's not what Jesus' miracles are about. What are they really about? He's giving you a glimpse of what life looks like in his kingdom. You see, Jesus is the king. And so when the king comes, darkness can't stay. When the king comes, blindness cannot abide. When the king comes into your presence, things come back to life. In the miracles, Jesus is actually saying, if I'm king, this is what happens. The world is healed. And so that's why Psalm 96, this is one of my favorite passages in the Bible. This is one of the passages that gives me hope on the hardest days. Psalm 96 says this, Let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Let the sea resound and all that is in it. Let the fields be jubilant. Let everything in them and all the trees of the forest sing for joy. You say, well, that's just symbolism, right? No, get an imagination. The psalm is saying that when the king returns, creation's going to come back to life. It goes on to say, let all creation rejoice before the Lord, for he comes. He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples with faithfulness. The passage is declaring that when the king returns, everything sad comes untrue. When the king comes back, everything that's wrong is put to rights. That's going to happen in the future. But the promise of Christmas is if that Jesus is king in your life, then what will happen in all of creation on that day can begin to happen in your life on this day. So rejoice in his rule. Say, I'm done trying to be my own master and Lord. I can't do it. I need the Savior King to deliver me from my greatest enemy and to give me joy in his presence and his establishment of his kingdom in my life and in this world. Admit your need Rejoice in his rule. Let's do that now as we pray and respond. Our God, thank you so much for this very festive service in which we get to experience again the power and the truth of Christmas. And so as we now have a time of singing and responding and eventually a party, we ask that you would help us today to make the truth of Christmas real in our lives, that by the power of your Spirit, we would encounter Jesus, that we would experience his rule and his reign and his saving grace in our lives. So meet us now just where we are as we seek to encounter you in this time of response. Praying together in Jesus' name, amen.